Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's guest is Aubert Bastiat. He is a spiritual guide and the co-founder of Sacred Sons, the leading global men's group in the world. We talk about how to devote yourself to God and cultivate a practice where you have faith and you're in alignment with your higher self. Please leave a review. I hope you love the episode. Thank you so much. Aubert. Hey. What does uh, masculinity mean to you? Yeah, it's the active principle of God. It's the active expression of, of the creator. And when we're in the bodies of men, we express that masculinity in a different way than say a woman would, which, you know, her internal, she has an internal masculine, just like we have an external expression of the masculine. And this is, uh, you know, this is, you know, these are two sides of the whole, you know, and so masculinity for me is, showing up into the world and bringing my love into the world externally, expressing it, you know, even beyond the home and, you know, creating children and I have, I have three sons. And so there's a lot of masculinity in my life and I see it, you know, even ch- in young children, just the different expression. That's where we can really, if we want to observe the difference between masculinity and femininity, uh, simply observe young children, young boys and young girls. You know, boys are running around. They're physical. You know, they're getting dirty. They, you know, they're, they're pushing the limits. And the little girls, you know, they're playing like they're, they're more quiet. They're softer. You know, they're not as aggressive and, and out there. I'm not saying that they don't have that in them, but I think what's natural is just the more active outward expression of God, of life. And with the feminine, it's just more internal. It's, it's softer. It's quieter. You know, it's, it's the yin, the calm, the peace. And it's not to say that we don't have that within us. We do. And, you know, we just look at the, the little children to see like what's natural. I observed some, you know, ferocious masculine energy in you. I feel it. Was it always there for you? What was the, I'm assuming there was an initiatory phase towards getting to that point. What was that journey like to you for, to get where you are now? Where you feel like, comfortable and safe and present in your masculinity. What was that journey like for you? Yeah, it was, it was a hard fought journey for me, you know, having a father who was, you know, really kind of limited to expressing anger as that was pretty much his primary emotion. It was anger or it was, um, you know, the silent brewing anger. And so living in a household where it was, there wasn't that safety, it was like kind of walking on eggshells. It was playing. And then suddenly I'm getting spanked, you know, out of the blue because dad's mad or whatever, uh, you know, kind of gave me this distorted experience of masculinity of what it is to be a man. Uh, and I had to move through that un- through unconsciousness. I had to express that pain. And, and I, in, in so doing, I harmed others. Um, I hurt others. I hurt myself. There's a lot of self-destructive tendencies and other destructive tendencies that I had to work through as a result of that trauma from, with my father. Um, at the same time, you know, he was a very intelligent man and would answer all my questions about, you know, the cosmos. And, you know, I was super into astronomy when I was young and he knew a lot about space and a lot about the earth and the sciences. And so, you know, I was, I was you know, so curious that I was just taking in all that information. And so, you know, he met me to the degree that he was able to, uh, you know, with a logical, rational, linear mind, you know, which he, you know, had, he had in spades, um, but he was just very emotionally stunted. And so my path to being able to experience the full range of my emotions uh, really 
you know, culminated through it causing a lot of other people pain, people that I really loved, actually. I'm like, why do I, I, I was kind of a sadist, actually. I, I, why do I find joy in hurting other people? I asked myself that once in high school. Um, I'm like, why do I feel good um, causing other people pain? You know, and it was so weird to really kind of have that moment of like the beginning seeds of self-awareness of like not just doing it unconsciously, you know, it's just like, oh, but I kept on doing it in various, various ways. Um, but it was really in that inquiry and that, that I dive deeper and deeper into asking myself these philosophical questions like, well, what is this? Why am I even here? And because I was born into an atheistic household, I did not have that ethical guiding system that a lot of people are born into religions or there's like a family structure of like, this is good and bad. I didn't receive that from my parents really. So I had to find it on my own. You know, I had to find it through uh, relationships, through friendships, through, through making mistakes, through falling on my face, uh, you know, through drug addiction. I found it through the school of life. You know, I found it through my, I found my full expression through the school of life and it, it, it was hard. It was a, it was a hard fought journey. What was your experience of addiction? I'm a, I used to be a drug addict. So <laughs> what, what got you into that experience? Yeah. I mean, it started, you know, innocently enough in high school, you know, uh, a friend introduced me to, to cannabis and I was like, I remember like getting high, uh, before, uh, before water polo practice in 10th grade, you know, with one of the older water polo kids. And, I smoked from a, from a bong and I just got so lit and I was just walking through school. I was in a different world and it felt amazing. I felt amazing. I was laughing at everything. Um, everything felt good and, and enhanced. And, um, that was my first experience that really kind of started my, my like thirst for altered states of consciousness for different experiences because my normal state of consciousness, you know, I didn't feel great inside. I didn't feel great. And so for me, it was like this, the pursuit of feeling better. That's, that's how it started innocently enough and just like kind of curiosity. And then from, you know, cannabis, it went to like MDMA ecstasy and from ecstasy, it went to acid and mushrooms. And then it, I found my way actually to the harder drugs like speed, methamphetamine. And so really methamphetamine was really the primary like uppers, stimulants in general, but really methamphetamine was like my drug of choice that took me down. And so I started selling. I started selling. I, I met a I met a dealer, an older dealer actually, who taught me like how to bag, how to how to clean, how to how to do these, you know, and and how much just how to the game taught me the game and I was still pretty young. I was 15 at the time. And so I kind of carried that. And I, 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 something within me was like, this is, this feels too good. I better like, like kind of push it away and like try to stay, stay away from this stuff for now. And so for 15 to 17, I had sobriety. I was just kind of like pushed away. Cause I had like a little stint, like a little brief stint when I was 15 with methamphetamine. Uh, but then I think just the stressors of life. And then that thought of like, Oh man, that felt really good when I, when I did that. Uh, and it brought me, it brought me in, it brought me in, you know, I was uh, a really, uh, you know, I, I had high aspirations kind of, I was around like AP kids. I was in AP classes. I was like the yearbook editor. I was the commissioner of spirit on stage. Um, you know, I, I wanted to excel. You were doing meth in high school? I was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that, 
like I, I, I basically had an active addiction from 17 through 19. 19 was when I first uh, had my first arrest for felony felony sales. And that was like a wake up call because I ended up in Men's Central Jail in Los Angeles around like just real, real, real criminals, like real people who are like, you know, serving 25 to life for murder, like waiting to go to prison. And I like just, it opened my eyes just going through like the intake process of just like a grueling three day trip through hell. A lot of people are like, you know, coming off of drugs, coming off. There's like a lot of mental illness. There's a lot of just aggression and fear. And, and, uh, you know, the cops are, you know, the worst. It was just a, a, a hellish environment. And just had, you know, having that experience was like, and talking, you know, talking to the different inmates, uh, I was in a cell with like, I want to say 60 men, you know, all facing various different charges, but having conversations with some of the older people in there, you know, I just, I, I think God protected me and guided me through that process. I saw people get brutalized, like beat, beat near to death, you know, like not that far away, a few feet away. And I was talking to a guy one day. And he basically, some guy just rushes him and knees him in the face and just brutalizes him and, and beats him nearly to death. And he just, the guy's just like crying and whimpering. And it's just like, it's just brutal in there. It's like, and I, I asked myself, is this where I'm going? Is this where I want my life to go? So it was like a wake up call. It was a major wake up call. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get off drugs. I'm going to write my life. I just like made a commitment to myself. And so when I got out, uh, I set upon doing that, but I fell back in because uh, of my old group of friends. It just fell right back in. How it. long did it take until you fell back in? Uh, it was like a, a month or two. Okay. It wasn't very long, mm -hmm. you know, uh, unfortunately, because I think it was writing the high of getting out and I was like, you know, trying to occupy my time, but I really didn't have those things to, to focus on that could help me, help me rise, you know? And so that experience uh, of falling back into addiction, you know, and I was on formal probation as well. And I remember like, you know, I'd have to call every night to see if I'd piss test the next morning. I had to go to court and piss test the next morning. It was random. And I remember missing several. And then one day I, I, I just happened to catch one and I go in and my probation officer is like, look, you're a good kid. I don't want to send you back to prison. If you're going back, you're going back to prison and it's going to fuck up your record. It's going to fuck up your life. And that was a wake up call. You know, he was like, you know, you got to try. And so I did. I, I, I was like, I don't want to go back to, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go to prison. That's a, that's a dead end. And at that point I was like getting better. So I was working out. I was doing, I was half in and half out, you know, I was still like feeding the addiction, but I was also like trying to get better. Um, but then that really kind of solidified it. I'm like, I got to do this, you know? And so I started doing it, started working out, going to the gym, like four or five days a week. Um, started eating better, started hanging out with different people, uh, started just listening to like different, different, uh, self-help things. So just kind of started expanding my mind, but I was still an atheist. Like I was still like, couldn't fully believe in that there was some higher power yet. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fully buy it, you know, just because of all the suffering that I had been through and all the suffering in my life still, I was like, my, my reasoning was like, if there was some all loving God, why is there so much suffering? Why, why do seemingly good people experience such tragedy and, you know, bad people, quote unquote, you know, can get away with so many things. Like if there was, you know, cause I was, my, my perspective was still limited. I didn't see the whole thing at the, at that time. 
but that was justification enough for me to not fully, you know, I still sold drugs. I still like, you know, bent, bent the rules. And so, you know, that path led me to my knees, you know, led me, led me down to rock bottom, you know, when I just started just, I was associating with just people that, you know, we, I believe everybody has that spark of God within them, but some, for some people, it's so deep and so deep in them that they've like, there's so many layers of pain and, 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 and distortion covering that light that when you look into their eyes, it's like, you're not even seeing, I can't, there's no seeing the light, just the darkness, you know? And so I was hanging around with a lot of people that were doing a lot of dirt, hurting a lot of people, committing crimes, robbing, just like running amok. And I never, I'd never robbed or done any of that stuff, but even just being associated with, with people that the vibration was just super low. And I would, I started getting into like just major paranoia. And it was just, it was, it was crazy. And I started having these spiritual attacks where I'd go to sleep and I felt like some kind of demon was, was on me, you know, like a, a night terror, sleep paralysis. And it was just like such a, like defeat. I felt so defeated after waking up and like having this like thing come over me like five times every night. What do you think that was? Was it like your own entity coming on to what, what do you, I, I, I personally believe it was an, uh, a dark entity, mm-hmm. like I, like a, some kind of demon or, or some kind of diabolical and, you know, and I'm not, I don't like live in a dualistic paradigm where it's like light versus dark. For me, the foundation is, is God and God, for me, God is in control of everything, even the darkness. And so if something's not meant to happen, it won't because God has absolute power. Um, and anything that isn't of God is actually an illusion. Like, like I, I truly believe that. Um, however, I believe that based on the choices that I was making to use drugs, even when using drugs was causing me so much harm, that it was like a green light. God's like, okay, this demon wants some, wants to feed and you're not, you know, honoring your responsibility and of to grow and change and evolve and so i was like you can go feed you know and that's what it felt like i was being fed on it was like taking energy from me you know and i wake up feeling just so drained and depleted and of course i was still using drugs too you know so it was like multiple things i was just like kind of living this toxic cycle of life but having those attacks like forced me i'm like i i just had this epiphany one day i was like i gotta I got to search for spiritual protection. And so I Googled like spiritual protection and this like um, Archangel Michael prayer came up. And so I started like reading about this whole like, uh, you know, ascended masters and like spiritual protection and archangels. I started like kind of reading about that and getting into it. Um, and I noticed that I, at first I had a kind of an aversion to it. And I think that that was really the darkness within me that did not want to, to come into the light. But I'd be reading these prayers and I'd like, like a part of me was like just repulsed by it. And a part of me was like, there's something here that I need to, to, to get, get to. Uh, and it was in starting to, I, I first I read them. I couldn't even read them out loud because you're supposed to read them. They're spoken word prayers, you know, these, these affirmations, affirmative prayer. Um, and then I started reading them. You know, it was like, hail Archangel Michael, Lord of angels, your presence is always with us. Protect us from all forces of darkness and bind the enemy within us. And it just goes on for like an hour. You're speaking this prayer out loud and I would stop getting the attacks. I, I, the attacks would stop. But then if I would go and use, the prayer would stop working. 
And I was like, so I was like putting all these pieces together, you know, but it came to the point where like the prayer wasn't enough because I was still using, I was still relapsing. I was like, I would like make my best efforts to like quit and I just fall back in, which, you know, in retrospect, of course, it was the, the trauma, the unhealed trauma that you can't just spiritual bypass. You can't just pray it away. It's still there in our somatic body. It was still, still there within me, drawing me back to the drug so that I could self-medicate and feel a certain way. What was the final catalyst in you deciding to finally process it and feel it? <laughs> you know, it didn't come until, it didn't come until I made the decision to end my life. It did, that, that for me, like I wouldn't be you here. Tr you tried to end your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was right there on the brink. Mm -hmm. I was right there on the brink of ending my life. I made the decision to end my life one day. Cause I was, I was, alone and i i I'd promised myself that i wasn't gonna go i had maybe like a week or two weeks clean i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna ride this and stay clean and then i one night i was just like okay it's on i'm off work i need to go score and then like a part of me just felt so disgusted with myself i just felt so disgusted because i was like look at yourself like you just said promised yourself once again and you're going to go out and break it. And your mom and your sisters are here. And there, and, and there's a lot of struggle. You know, my younger sister had mental illness. My mom was working. Like we were all working together to try to help my sister heal. And like, I was, you know, being selfish, you know, like just this addiction behavior. And so it came to the point where I, I decided to end my life. I was like, okay, like this is it. Like I can't do this anymore. And in, in, in deciding that I was just grieving it. I was grieving the fact that I was going to kill myself and it felt so, it felt like relieving, but it also felt so sad that like, this was the way I'm going to go out. I was like, I was like, I thought I could make something of myself. I still had that hope, but I was like, it's gone. It's done. I can't do this. And it was, that was really the, the turning point because it was in that, that I actually made my first direct prayer. I, I, I prayed for the first time personally, not reading a script, but I prayed to God with all my heart and soul. And I said, God, if you're real, I need to know. Cause if you, cause if you aren't, then I'm gone. This is over. And if you're God, then you know that I'm serious. And in that moment, my whole room started to vibrate. That's what it felt like. It felt like everything, this like vibration is like, like some kind of massive, you know, craft comes over the room and is just shaking the whole things. That's what it felt like. And then it, it came into me. That vibration came into me and it felt like, it felt so foreign. I, I didn't have anything that I could describe. There are no words that I could describe it with, except at that time, at least it felt like an alien. It felt like something very foreign. I didn't even register what it was. And then it, and then it broke into my heart. My heart broke open and it was like just being submerged into, to peace, into divine calm and bliss and, and, and safety. And it, you know, I describe it as being held by my father, mother, father, God. It felt like I was being cradled like a baby. And I just wept. I just cried and cried and cried. And I begged God to never leave me. I said, you know, I just, I was talking like without words. And I was just like, please never leave me. And it said, I've always been here and I'll always be here. Like you're never alone. And I just made a vow. I'm like, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. It's on. Like, this is it. Like I'm in, I'm in for life. And from that point on, I, 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 I just like, you know, I quit the drugs, I quit the sex, I quit the porn, I quit the partying, I quit it all. And I just became a hermit. Mm. I stopped watching TV. I stopped like taking in information and I just started meditating and praying every day, 
hours a day and spending time in nature and, and trying to help my sister. You know, I'd like try to drag her to like pray with me because she was like hearing all these voices. And my new mission was to save her life. Now that like, I was like, now that God saved my life and I know that God is real and there's a reason for living. Like my first responsibility is to save my sister's life because I, I wasn't able to be there and, and be supportive of her. You know, she was raped when she was in middle school and that really was, a, it was the onset of mental illness and a series of just hospitalizations and decline and being on six different psychotropic medications. And, you know, it was fucked. It was fucked. And then I was like, I'm now that I'm here and I'm like lucid and I'm like committed to my sobriety. I'm going to help my sister. I'm going to help my sister heal. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I, you know, when people tell me they're, they're suicidal, I'm going to go into this next. A part of me, it's, it's miserable and I've been there. You know, I've I had a knife in my wrist. I was about to take my life. But what's beautiful about it is that was the death of, of old me. That that was me basically saying like, whoever I was is out. Like I, I, it was God telling me you cannot do the same thing anymore. Start over, new game. When people tell me they're suicidal. It's like, it's miserable. We don't understand how beautiful this is in some way. Like, you are finally being told that you can't do this shit anymore. Yeah. Like you have to have a new North Star. You have to completely start over. And that was my experience. And I became a hermit and started over. What, what can you tell the people who are in that spot right now where they feel like they're at the brink of, of not wanting to be alive? Because even what's crazy to me is so many people are unconsciously there. I, I can be pretty intuitive. I can catch yeah. someone's thoughts being suicidal next yeah. to me. Wow. I feel their energy and they don't know. They don't know. They have no idea. Wow. So many of us are there. We don't know about it. So yeah. what can you tell people in that, in that space? Is it along those lines of honoring that new initiation of being like, I have to start over. I have to create a new, you know, character, yeah, a new, you, new way of living. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It really is the death that brings the rebirth. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like the death of the, the stranglehold that the ego has over us and the ego that's rooted in so much trauma. You know, that's rooted in so much pain that hasn't been dealt with, that hasn't been met with love and compassion. And really that's the key is to have the space to be able to meet the pain. And oftentimes we don't have that space because the people around us don't get it. Mm -hmm. Society doesn't get it, it seems. And so it's few and far in between you, you encounter someone that can, you know, attune to someone's suicidal thoughts, someone's pain, and to be able to, you know, have an open heart to them, to be able to even say I'm a blessing and wish them the best, even if you don't you know, actively try to save their life. Cause I don't believe we can save anybody's life. I believe that someone has to come to the point of wanting to save their own life, to choose life, to say yes. So you say yes to life. I said, you know, I'm, I'm like that. I feel like my experience with being saved was what I needed to have the depth of compassion to hold the full spectrum of our human experience, which is, it can get very ugly and dark. And having been in a lot of the ugly darkness myself growing up in a, in a household like I did. And it's not to say that there wasn't light or love or anything. It's like, it's, it's always all of it. But having been in some really shadowy and dark places around people that were very hurt, it calls on us, the best of us. Cause it's easy to say all love and light when we're, you know, going to Burning Man and, and around like the best people ever and, and you know, living, living a, a different reality that we're choosing. It's another thing to meet another person's brokenness, to meet another person's tragedies and to hold space and listen to them with compassion, with an open heart, without wanting to silence them because we want, we have something to do or somewhere else to go or something about ourselves, but to be that open and clear space for someone to just 
be, to be in the mess, to be in the muck, to be in the pain and to not have to fix it, but to simply love them as they are, as broken as they might believe that they are, but to love them from that place of knowing that at the core, that's God. That's God and that's another me. That's another reflection of me. And to be able to meet them in that is, I think, what creates the healing and the transformation. And so for anybody that's going through that, it's darkest right before the dawn. It's always darkest right before the dawn. And if you're willing to keep trying and you're willing to open your heart to being helped and you have to ask for help, like we, when we, when we're really struggling and we're really going through it, I think there's a lot of shame that's associated with needing help because of how culture and society really kind of programs us, you know, to be little islands. They, they, they pit us against each other, divide and conquer, right? Divide, they divide us from ourselves and each other. And people that are divided can't stand. And so I think the big part is like being able to open the heart to receive, to receive help, to receive love, to receive support and to be humble enough to ask for it. Because I think the majority of people would be very surprised how many people would be willing to help if someone really asked for it. I think what keeps them so stuck in that is, is shame. I mean, you know, I think that when I was, anyone who's at that point of suicide is so ashamed of themselves that they can't even move forward. How do we bypass that shame to ask for help? How do we start losing some of that shame? You know, for me, the shame dissolved as I experienced God's love for me. And it's not that I never had shame after that. I didn't have to work through shame and stuff in my past. But shame is a, is, is really a lie. It's an illusion. You know, it, it's, it's not knowing who we are, you know, as sons and daughters of the most high creator. It's not knowing like where the beauty and the majesty that we come from. It's being disconnected from the sacred, you know. And so for, for anybody that's struggling with shame, you know, one of my mentors, he shared with, with me, we're only as sick as our secrets. We're only as sick as our secrets. And so for me, it was to, to free myself from shame after all the stuff that I went through, after my sister's suicide, after my addiction, after all the things I went through, I had to share about it. I had to be open my heart. I had to cry about it. And I had to be witnessed by other people. I had to be willing to be seen by other people in my shame. You know, and that takes courage. And so without courage, there's no way to conquer shame because it keeps us in that private prison where we're trying to defend um, what we feel like is those parts of us that are unlovable, unredeemable. And so if we have the courage, which comes from the heart, if we can tap into that courage and just take that risk to say, I need help. I'm sick. There's something wrong. You know, and whatever, however it might come out, that will open up the, 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 the channel to receive everything that we need, to receive all the help and support we need. So how you mentioned there, the disconnection to the sacred is one of the things that causes most of our, our pain, our shame. How do we connect to the sacred? What are practices you do or that we can all do in a day-to-day basis to start connecting to the sacred? Yeah. So it comes down to shifting into a different state of consciousness, not just our normal beta wave operating in the world state of consciousness, thinking, right? Thinking, what do I got to do next? What's my checklist? That isn't going to get us tapped into the sacred. So we have to, if, if that's where we are, we have to downregulate. We have to deepen into our heart. And that takes stillness. 
we have to be able to st- silence the mind. And, and I think silencing the mind is a process that we have to train. And that's why we have meditation. That's why we have exercise. That's why we have walks in nature. You know, it's all around us. It's very available to us. You know, I think that sometimes we overcomplicate things. But the thing is, it's not like you, if you go into the gym and you, and you're like, you know, you see someone that's just jacked that that's, that's super ripped. And you're like, I want to be like that guy. You don't just go into the gym and work out one day and expect to be that guy, you know? And so depending on where we are and the level of like noise we have in our minds, that's going to determine how much effort and work we need to put in to practicing, to stilling the mind, to training it so that it, it that we become its master versus the other way around, which I think the majority of humanity is a slave to their minds, right? And it's not even necessarily the mind. It's the mind that has been conditioned by the ego and conditioned by the media to basically work against us because the mind is just an instrument and we can put it in service of God or we can let it be used against us as a weapon. And that's what's happened. You know, society has weaponized our minds against us. So that we're so afraid, you know, so we're afraid of ourselves. We're afraid of each other. We're afraid of the darkness when fear is a fear is an illusion. Fear is an illusion because for anybody that's met fear with courage, with love, it dissolves. It disappears. It's not real. And even though it feels real, you know, and so I feel like the, the starting point is courage. You know, we have to find it in our heart to say, well, I've suffered for the first 20 years of my life. Do I want to keep doing this or do I want to try something new? Right? There's that saying, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? Einstein. So to that pattern interrupt, you know, to really invest in the practices, it might be meditation, it might be, you know, hot cold therapy. I I believe nature is crucial. Nature was huge in my healing process and you know, during the pandemic we hear about so many people that kind of had their like awakenings or epiphanies. Oh, you yeah. did during yeah. the pandemic? Yeah. Cause it just, it, it, it grinded everything to a halt. Mm-hmm. It shifted gears. And so it was a blessing and a curse in many ways. There's always light and dark with everything. Right. Yeah. And so that was the light of it. It really allowed us the spaciousness to, to question things, to say, do I want to keep on the course that I'm on and where am I going to go or end up if I keep going this rate? You know, and it gave people time to, to confront themselves and to realize that they are burning the candle at both ends. And it's, it, it's important as human beings to give our sp- ourselves space to slow down, to come back to our center, to quiet the mind, and, and to allow the heart to blossom. Because that's really what happens. That's how the spiritual heart opens. It's when we allow space and practice to condition the mind into stillness to condition the mind into slowing down and not having to grasp and, and, and think all the time. Uh, because so much of our inspiration and creativity comes from the depths. It comes from the stillness and the silence. And that's really where God dwells. God dwells in the silence of the heart. For anybody that's truly encountered God in a mystical way, whether through meditation, prayer, plant medicines, whatever way and avenue that people have used to connect to the ineffable, to the great mystery. Silence is such a big part of that. Silence is such a big part of that. And I believe that our greatest teacher is nature. You know, right here, nature is such a beautiful teacher of how to become silent. You know, and some days when I was younger, I would just 
you know, after my awakening and after like realizing God was real, when it just felt like too much, I just go sit in nature, you know, go sit in the field. Even though I was living in a city, you just, you find a park, like whatever you have available. And I would just sit there all day. I would just sit there on the grass and, and just allow, allow life to unfold. And in that unfolding, insights would come. Inspiration would come. Healing would happen, you know, and it happens slowly. And I think that we've been so conditioned into this like rat race, go, go, go dopamine on, on call, you know, way of life that we've really lost the value of slowness and stillness and, and, and slowing down into nature. And, and, you know, really I've heard it described as slowing down to the pace of nature, you know, coming back home. And we all come from nature. We're all part of nature, you know? And so it makes sense that that's where we're going to get a lot of our healing and a lot of our insights and wisdom. When you, in, in like a, let's say we have a, I'm trying to make it relatable. We have a trigger. You know, let's say something small takes you out, you right now. The human side of your mind take, takes over. Okay. What can you do in that moment to bring yourself back? Like what, do you, what, what do you do? Immediately, the first thing is, is just to pause, take a deep breath. And to appeal to God. To say, God, I lost my cool and I'm, I'm feeling on edge right now, you know, to reach out and say, I'm inviting you into my body. I'm inviting you into my heart. I'm inviting you into my soul. You know, we've also been conditioned to relegate God into religion and into like Sundays, like into like little sections of life when God is literally the source of all existence. It is source for a reason, right? Everything comes from it. It's all intelligent, all knowing, all loving. So why are we relegating the source of all existence to a little part of our day, to a little part of our life when it should completely dissolve everything that's unreal and we have to offer it. God doesn't go where God isn't invited, you know? And so it really is this invitation to say, God, I'm working on it. Can you come in? And, you know, as I'm saying that I, I, uh, uh, an awareness appeared, it's like that might be triggering for some people to even hear the word God. Because there's a lot of religious trauma. There's a lot of awful things that have been done in God's name. But for me, it's a reclamation. Because for me, I was like, that's a fairy tale growing up. God's not real. That was my knowing of God for the first 23 years of my life. And for uh, a drug addicted, atheistic, you know, criminal, and not to say that it didn't have my redeeming qualities, to be saved to pray for my first time and to be met with so much grace and compassion. I was like, wow, that's the standard that God is asking us to rise to. You know, Yeshua the Christ, a lot of these incredible expressions of God, you know, the son of God, daughter of God, these avatars, they come time and time again to the world. And you see how the world, you know, organizes around it. It's like, we got to bottle this shit because it's gold. And we got to, you know, there's people that want to take power and control and sell it and use it. But this is something that no one can ever take from us. And that's our capacity to cultivate our own intimate relationship with the source of all creation. Our literal, our creator, like the creator and where everything comes from. But we have to make the choice to do it. And so when we get triggered, when we lose our shit, Come back to center, take a breath and open your heart, open your heart to, to guidance, to support, 
to love, to, to, to knowing what the next step is so that you can heal something deeper that's causing you to react in that way. Out of all the guests I've had, you, you have the most passionate connection to God in my experience. I'm assuming there are some other mystical experiences that got you there. I'd love to hear some of the most powerful ones beyond the one in your room when you prayed after, you know, being suicidal. What are some experiences you've had where I think there's like, I believe in God and there's, I know God exists. So what led to you knowing? Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. It was really everything after God saved my life. Because it wasn't just like, boop, you're on your own. God told me, because I vowed that I would serve for the rest of my life. And there's, you know, a part of my relationship with God that I don't share, that that's that's inward, that's private. But I'm living the life that I am right now, a big, a big beautiful life, as I like to say, you know, serving. Like, that's my purpose. I, I literally serve and help people heal and live from that and provide for my family with that. You know, I, God gave me the vision for sacred sons and it came through and, and inspired me to organize that. And so God has been active in my life since that mystical experience. And to the degree that I'm willing and humble and devoted, I am met. But if God, and there's been periods of time where God was more of an afterthought where like I was so busy and wrapped up with life and, and getting so into it. And maybe there was ego there, whatever, um, that God would withdraw. And some of that magic quality of life would, would, would diminish. And then that for me is like, Ooh, I'm not, I'm not honoring my responsibility as a son of God. I'm not honoring my vow to God to serve with the rest of my life. And so for me, it's been an ongoing series of synchronicities and, and amazing experiences, meeting the right people at the right time. There's just so many of those all along my path, you know, because like the world that I grew up in, in was very limited. You know, I grew up in poverty. My mom and dad were socially isolated and emotionally stunted human beings, and they're both very intelligent. Um, however, to see the contrast from where I started as a child to the life that I'm living now, it's like a miracle. It's a miracle. And so I see life as one continual miracle. You know, the, the birth of our, our, my, my three sons, the first one was an emergency C-section and the next ones, my, my partner birthed at home. You know, she birthed free birth, wild birth. You know, she didn't go to the doctor once. She didn't have any checkups or any of that. Uh, and being able to receive my own son in my hands and, and, and feel the miracle of life. This is the alchemy. This is the alchemy of her and I and our love. And this is the blessing that God said, this soul out of all the infinities of souls, this is the soul that's going to love you and you're going to love them and you're going to grow together as a family. And that's like such a great blessing. And I really accelerated my process and just becoming a father really grounded so much for me. Uh, you know, but yeah, having out of body experiences, like I've had a couple out of body experiences. Uh, one of them where I sh literally shot out of my body at night and through my house, out of my house and into, into the world, out of the world and saw the earth and saw and was just flying. And that shook me. 
Cause then when I I was like flying and I was like oh my god I'm I'm my soul I am a soul like I, that was my first experience of like being apart from my body and knowing like oh my god I'm a soul like this is what I what I am and being apart from my body and then having that realization being shot back or like just being pulled back and going I was like oh wow uh, God gave me different experiences like that that started expanding my worldview and 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 direct experience of knowing like what is this that we are a part of? And what is, what is all this? Like, what is, what is this Maya that we are a part of? And what am I really? And what is this all really? What's the answer you came to? One, what is this? And why did we come here? This is God. This is God. Like we are all a part of God, guiding, becoming more God. This is the evolution of consciousness. And it's so vast and, and beyond our human mind's capacity to even comprehend or translate and so coming out as words just like blah, but like we are part of this universal evolution we are all a part of it it's all a beautiful magical part you know this is even the ugliest things and the worst things it's just like a blip it's just a little blip in in eternity and infinity expanding and so Knowing that we are a part of this universal consciousness unfolding, it, it grounds me. You know, when like all the crazy stuff, the lockdowns or whatever else they try to do, they try to do. There really isn't any, even any day that at like, the deepest level, right? Um, and we can either choose God or we can choose separation. You know, and so the deeper we go on the path and the greater awareness we have, then the greater responsibility we are met to choose life, to choose the all, to choose love, or to choose separation and fear, to choose us versus them. And the they that I mentioned, you know, they chose separation and they revel in separation. But the thing is, in separating themselves from the literal creator of all existence, they're going to dissolve into nothingness. You know, I believe that this, that, you know, we are eternal souls, but there's also the philosophical understanding from, you know, the Vedas about the, the Kalpas. These are like really long periods of times, like five billions of, five billion years is like one in breath and out breath of God, something like that. And I, like, I conceptualize it as like the Milky Way, the Big Bang, right? Like the Big Bang. That's like the out breath of God. Here's creation. And then at a certain point, there's the in-breath of God. And in that in and out, there's billions of years for evolution to take place. And so any part of this externalized expression of God gets to now be um, for the ones that choose and for the ones that really try and the ones that really love. Because to love God is to become God, you know? That's that. That's the truth. And when we love, when we truly love, like I was holding my son Zion the other day, Devon woke me up and it was 4 a.m., just past four. And she's like, I haven't slept all night. He's not sleeping because he's been sick. And so she's like, you got to take him. So I took him and I just walked around and strolled him outside for hours in our neighborhood and just walking around. And then I wanted to give her time to sleep. And then he wakes up crying and I was like, oh man, it's only been like two hours. I want to, I know she, she needs more. And so I just held him and I was holding him and just like trying to soothe him. And he was crying. And in 
just loving him, I lost myself. I disappeared because I was just loving him from my heart. And I was just like praying that he could feel better. I was just like this little guy feeling so, you know, just feeling sick. And so I was just like that, that just feeling of compassion and love came over me. And suddenly it, there wasn't him and I anymore. Like it was, it just, I just was, I, I was just being in, in my heart and being the love. And in that, I was experiencing God. I had this like little mystic, mini mystical experience with my son Zion. The first one in that way. I've had other like little experiences with him, but like that was like a, a really special thing of like reaching that point of compassion and just not wanting him to hurt. And that moving from my mind and just in completely into my heart, you know? And so my name online used to be spiritual heart because when God opened my heart, I literally felt it like open up and all that peace fill it. And I never had that experience before. I'd like fallen in love before, but this is a whole nother thing. Divine love is a whole different thing that we sometimes expect God's love to be like human love. And maybe in the heights, the depths of human love, we can, we can taste what God's love is, but God's love is, is it dissolves the ego. It dissolves the unreality because it just, it just is. Why do you think that observing someone else's suffering is one of the ways that opens our heart the most? Like my, you talked about your son in my experience, my mom in her process of dying, witnessing that for me, mm-hmm. my heart was like, it's, I told people like, you're, you're sick, you're crazy. But when I saw my mom dying, my heart like opened. I had crazy psychedelic experiences from that. So why do you think that witnessing someone else's pain causes our heart to open so much? Yeah, it's the, the mirror neuron activation. It's the empathic connection. And it it's the thawing of the walls around us because it penetrates us. Feeling someone's intense emotions penetrates those walls and taps into our pain, you know, our pain, but also our compassion because we can't have compassion without having known on some level, maybe not even in this lifetime, but on some level, what it is to hurt in the same way, in a similar way, you know, and that's what bonds us as human beings is, and we're all in these bodies. We're all these souls in these bodies and we all go through the same emotions. And while we attune to different realms, I I believe realms or dimensions of existence, simply feeling and simply having the capacity to see another person feeling a certain way and being able to know immediately what they feel. They might not even be outwardly expressing it, but when we're sensitive, we can attune to someone's energy like you're saying. You know, so someone's sad, it taps us into that part of us that gets it, that is, there's no separation because we know. So our emotions really bond us in that oneness. And some emotions can, can bond us together in healthy ways and some in traumatic ways, you know? And so that's why it's so important that we really do create the space in our life to slow down. We create the space in our life to listen to like what our heart really feels, mm-hmm. uh, especially with things like speeding up. Like, I, I don't know, you know, I'm sure you're experiencing that too. Everything's speeding up. And I mean, that's a whole nother, another thing, but being able to simply say, no, to simply pause and, and allow ourselves the space to come back to center and to ask ourselves some honest questions that can completely reorient us. It can, it can help us cut through all the noise that's, that we're constantly being bombarded with, of course, by our own choice. If we're tapped into the media, 
social media, our phones. I mean, our phones have become just like these personal computers and they're great and it's powerful what they, what we've been able to do with them. And it is really what we make of it. And, you know, it, it can be a pitfall. It can be a pitfall just overutilizing technology and not having dominion over our mind and our body because it's having dominion over our mind and body that allows us to create from a place of, of love, from a place of truth, you know, rather than being conditioned and pulled this way and that into chaos, into fear, into illusion. How are you managing having kids at a time where they're pumping this stuff the hardest? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because that what really was always one of my biggest reasons that I didn't want to have kids is like, this world is fucked. Why would I bring a, a, an innocent child into this madness? And when I met Devana, it was like, we had this like beautiful mystical experience uh, when we were out camping on Mother's Day one year and we just dissolved. We were on some, some LSD actually, but we just dissolved into one and we just started like rolling around in, in, in our tent, like a ball. And, and we just like saw, the, I saw the past like lives and I just like this beautiful experience. And after that experience, I was like, oh, I could be, I could be a father. And it was like, just to clear, like, I could be a father with you. I could, I, I could have kids. Whereas that was kind of a block before. And in feeling that it was this deep sense of like, expansion and just connection to like my humanity um, to like actually feel that desire. Cause I came from a lot of trauma. So I was always like, I don't want kids. This is nuts. There's already so many kids out there that need parents. Like, why wouldn't you adopt? It's selfish to have kids, you know? Um, but as I've learned and as I'm experiencing now with, with three, three beautiful boys, each child brings uh, its gift to the world. And especially when we have a level of consciousness and awareness, the kids that are coming to us, they're like little blessings that are like, they really are the greatest teacher. That's like, people think that that's a cliche thing, but it's a cliche thing because it's the truest thing. It's literally this, this soul. I believe my kids souls are older than mine. They're like my teachers. And, you know, my responsibility is to steward them in a good way even amidst all the craziness and, and protect them from that to the best of my ability. You know, they go to private school. Um, we're not just like letting them watch whatever they want, you know? So really being active in their life and, and guiding them, which I didn't have. I was raised by the streets and by my friends and by TV and by video games. I was raised by all of it. And it led me to wanting to end my life. Same here. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, being able to be a father who has that awareness. And like, I, I have so many moments where I'm like, I did not get this. And it is such a, a joy to give this to you. And I just got to laugh at like the, the cosmic joke, you know, that I experienced all that suffering so I could create this life for these guys because they're going to live a different Dharma than I am, mm -hmm. you know, and I see it as an evolution. What was the process of calling in your queen? Was it natural for you? Did you have to overcome a lot of internal trauma? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my awakening experience was in 2008. And in 2009 is when my sister ended her life. My younger sister ended her life. And 
that catapulted me onto my healing journey because I was on my spiritual journey, but we can be on the spiritual path and bypass Mm -hmm. a lot of our traumas, which I did. I had to, otherwise I would have fallen back into addiction. And so, you know, people are sometimes like, oh, you're spiritual bypassing. People spiritual bypass as long as they need to until they have the outer support and the inner resource to meet the depths of their trauma. It's good to spiritual bypass as long as you need to until you get get to a point where you have the support that you need in place. People that will show up for you and hold that space for you and also the internal resource, right? The cultivated capacity to bear heavy and intense emotions without regressing, without dissociating, and without having to run to some kind of crutch or addiction, right? So like, like I don't know why there's all that judgment on spiritually bypass, spiritual bypassing. I get it. But I think we need to understand the bigger picture that there's a natural intelligence within us that's running our show. And when we try to like, you know, reverse engineer or hack into it because we think we know better than its innate intelligence. And I mean this from like more of an unconscious place, you know, because I do believe that we can grow and, and enhance our humanity, you know, with biohacking and with different like tools and adjuncts, um, therapeutic um, tools and and even plant medicines and and entheogens and all of that. I do believe in support in, um, in especially in this time. You know, it really is this like all hands on deck. Everything's at your disposal because we are like literally in this this mythic um, like do or die time. Like the, it, I I believe that this is going to continue on no matter what. I'm not like a doomsdayer. But I do believe that the universe works in cycles and we're coming into a, a cycle where this cosmic drama is playing out where earth is at the center and it seems like it's light versus dark, good versus evil, uh, you know, and there's a truth to that. But to expand to a greater truth, it's like, this is love. This is God's earth. This is a springboard for the evolution of consciousness the earth is alive and conscious. We don't have to worry. The earth will just return to homeostasis with or without us. And so the people that I believe that this is going to be the metric, it's either you choose God and to live in a world with God at the center, source, love, whatever you want to call the, the source of all creation and all existence. It's either you orient around the truth, the love at the center of all existence, or you resist that and then you might have to leave. Your body might have to go somewhere else. You might not need to go to another planet or some other realm because this is God's earth. And those who are saying yes to love, yes to life, yes to God, yes to humanity, these are the ones that are going to be here as things fall apart. And that we're going to be helping each other. We're going to be speaking the truth. We're going to be creating spaces where people can heal and people can grow stronger because we're meant to be strong and resilient and to live in a toxic world and to have this world be such a toxic place is not what God wants. We created this with our own free will choices. Humanity has created this. And so we also have get to take responsibility and create what we really want to see, which is the new earth, the now paradigm, whatever we want to call it, it's here. And we are it. You and I are it. The people that are listening to it, we are it. And that, that's why I call everybody fam. Because you're my family. You're my soul family. If we intersect in life, you are my brother. You are my sister. 
and I love you and God loves us. And I'm here to be a stand for that and to embody that and express that in every way that I can and to encourage that in others. You know, that's what God does. God helps other, other pieces of, you know, cause we're all energy beings. You know, we're a part of this universal consciousness and at the core of it, you know, we're subatomic particles on a material physical level, but deeper than that, you know, we are spirit, we are energy. And so we need to support the transformation of energy. And the only way we can do that is literally by raising our vibration. We hear it all the time. And sometimes people, I think, you know, kind of shut down. They're like, oh, that new age woo stuff. But it's all about the woo. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people trip on the woo. <laughs> <I agree. laughs> woo take glad. <laughs> um, it's, it, but it is really all about the woo, you know? And what the woo is, is the mystery. It's the ineffable. It's the unnameable. You know, it's, it's, it's deeper than what can the eyes can see. Yeah, I mean, just, I often look at people who don't believe in magic or mystery and just, but you're living a boring life, bro. Like, how could you, you know? <laughs> Why are you choosing that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's boring. One thing I wanted to touch upon in that, you know, beautiful, inspiring uh, tangent you went on is that trying to, <laughs> trying to unpack, I think, picking apart your language, there's this belief that everything's divine, the light, the dark, the bad, the good. I'd love for you to unpack that more because I think a lot of people don't understand that concept mm. that the dark actually feeds the light, that all the bad things happening are happening in a divine or- orchestration to feed our, yeah. our light. Can you explain that, please? Yeah. So we live in the world of duality. This physical realm is one where we can have this experience only through contrast. How can we know what love is if we haven't experienced fear? And I, I and to, you know, just add a little note, love has no opposite. Because love just is. Love just is. And there really is no opposite to love because love is God. However, in the world of form, where things come into this three-dimensional reality, and there has to be contrast because we're now we're in duality. And so there's light, there's dark, right? There's masculine and feminine, yin, yang. And it's through these polarities that we get to make the choice with our free will to choose God, to choose life, to choose unity. Because we fall, we come from unity. That's our home. God is our home. <laughs> That's where we come from. And so it's encoded within all of us. And it's this drive for union. And so think about sex, the masculine and feminine, right? That those masculine and feminine polarities long to be together, not only on a physical level, but on a spiritual level. And I'm not saying that each soul is like half a soul. No, every soul is a whole soul, masculine and feminine within. And while we're in these 3D bodies, we get to have the beautiful experience of relationship, which brings us together into this crucible, into this transformational union where we get to dissolve the unreality within ourselves and each other and become one. At the highest level, that's what it is. And do we experience that with everybody all the time? No. And a big part of that requires that we experience that with ourselves. You know, that we embrace those shadows within us, the things that we were raised to feel ashamed of, to run away from, to hide or lie about. Those are all the pieces of us that through loving, through accepting and finding and embracing that we get to practice what unconditional love really is. And then we get to express that to others and bring other people back into the truth of who we are, you know, and we are, we are whole at the core. But we've experienced things in this lifetime that make us feel broken. And so 
being able to meet the darkness and, 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 and push against it, right? That's like the, the, the free will choice to say, I choose love. I choose life. And I will, I will meet the darkness with courage. And through that meeting, we grow, we grow stronger. It's like when we go to the gym, you know, you're working out and over time, you're creating your capacity to hold heavier weights, right? To do greater things with the body because you're conditioning it. The same thing with the soul. The soul is conditioned through adverse experiences, through experiences which test whether we ring true with the principles and ethics of the creator, which come from love, right? It's love, wisdom, and power. And how do we use the love, wisdom, and power? And how do we share that? And how do we express that and embody that? So you have gratitude for all your hardship immensely. For sure, for sure. I, I I wouldn't be here. I really literally would not be here without it. And so well, I used to, you know, coming out of the victim mentality, because when I was in my ego, I was in the victim. I was like, my dad left me, you know, left our family. You know, this world is a dog eat dog world. There's, you know, it's just a dark place. I, and I was such a victim about it. And I victimized others. In being a victim to life, I also victimized others. And so coming out of that, really that that trap right i think it's like cartman cartman's triangle you know there's victim there's perpetrator and there's the hero and you just like cycle through these different roles but coming out of that those different um roles it's like oh every experience that we have in life you know good or bad leads us to choice and it's through choice that we get to choose this path or this path right and each one has a separate set of experiences that follow. And so really with every choice we make, the path forks. And if we're making choices that are aligned with the universal consciousness, that are aligned with our soul's evolution, then it'll continue getting better and better. How can we become aware of that? Like whether or not, whether or not our decision, decisions are matching um, a higher plan. If your life is becoming exceedingly difficult consistently, like things just keep on going wrong, then you're off course. It doesn't mean to push through. Not, I don't want to say, not always. Sometimes it might mean, to, you, got, you got to have that discernment too. Everybody, you know, but I believe when we experience pain and we have to meet the teacher of pain, it means we're somewhat off course. It means that we're like, something's off. Even in a simple like accident and hurting ourselves, we have to understand the deeper meaning of what that accident's trying to tell us because information's always being presented to us all the time. And so it's our capacity to intuit and interpret what reality is telling us that allows us to course correct and change our navigation to align with the highest, you know, for our soul. It's different for everybody, but we're always receiving information. And if we don't have enough stillness, if we don't have enough space in our life to receive the information that really matters, the information that's coming from our higher self or God, then we're going to be pulled this way and that, and we're going to miss the 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 guiding posts yeah, it's a very important point i think with i mean people who aren't aware of the magical it gets a little they see it as like stupid in the sense that for example when the i was a vacation about a couple weeks ago yeah in a house a bunch of people first time i got there was a fire and for me that was i immediately <laughs> went into what does this mean like what's a symbol what's everything everyone else like fire 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 <laughs> it's one of the most important things in my life i've noticed so whenever anything happens i always look into why is this appearing What's just telling me about myself? There's no accidents. Yeah. 
how, how do you use that every, everything in your life too? Like whenever every small little things thing. happen, you I, and I don't do it. I, I went through a phase where I did it obsessively, yeah. and it really was too much. Yeah. <laughs> and that was also a lesson. Like, don't lose your shit. Sometimes a leaf falling is just a leaf falling. <laughs> yeah. um, and being attuned to the fact that we are energy beings living in a magical energetic reality that's completely dynamic and always changing is crucial. Like not becoming identified, overly identified with the human that we get to live in this lifetime. Like that out-of-body experience, it allowed me to deepen into my identity as an immortal soul and as a son of God, as a child of God, you know? And and I, I, I got to say that the soul, I don't believe the soul has a gender. I believe the soul is masculine and feminine and we just, we're in bodies. And so that's, if we're in a, I'm in the body of a man right now. And so I have the responsibility of a man. I get to show up to life actively, you know, to lead, to plan, to organize, to hold a vision and to bring it to life, right? To bring a vision into life. And that was Sacred Sons. And the next one is, is, uh, is, is it's going to be a beautiful coming together. But to be able to know who we are beyond time and space, to not lose sight of the miraculous reality that we are taking part in, that's key. That's a big key to continue to be able to stay in alignment with our soul's path, to be able to read the signs and what it's telling us, to not take things personally, right? The four agreements are so good. It's like such a beautiful spiritual tome of wisdom that if we could embody the four agreements... Shout out Don Miguel Ruiz. We are good, you know, but that piece right there, take nothing personally. And so, you know, when, when negative things have happened to me, when I was younger, before I had my awakening and knew it was all perfect and God's always guiding everything, I would take offense and I would fight against it and I would get mired up in all my feelings over things. And now, now that I know that everything's happening for me and really living from that place of like, okay, this sucks and it hurts and it's difficult, but it's ultimately happening for me. So my responsibility is to meet it with wisdom and courage and to allow those emotions to move through me as quickly as possible and to stay true to the spiritual principles that guide my life, right? And Yeshua the Christ and the Buddha and all these different teachers from around the world, they came and they shared the same message. And it's the message of love. It's the message of wisdom. It's the message that guides us in treating each other as if you are another me and I'm another you. Because when we can live from that place truly though, it's on. You know, that's where transformation comes from. That's where movements come from. That's where revolution begins. And not like these revolutions that are destructive, that are born of fear, that are fomented from two different sides or, or one player playing both sides. But the revolution that comes from living in our hearts, you know, that, that dissolves the fear and the illusion and allows me to know that you're my brother and that this is a divine alignment, you know, and Stephanos that connected us. It's just like God is moving us. Mm-hmm. What are some, some key ingredients that you have found in your life to help you get on that flow railroad track to being God's plan? What are the ingredients that add up to you being in, in kind of flow state with that yeah. trajectory? Devotion is, uh, is a core piece of it. And that looks like not only inward devotion, but outward devotion. You know, we have to be serving. We have to be helping. 
we, we, being in the help, you know, for a long time, I was a wounded healer. I had so many traumas and a big part of my healing process didn't even take root until I started helping other people in any way it could. It started out smaller, like my tasks were smaller, but it started out with a genuine desire to help people because I had compassion now. And so the old lady, you know, literally this happened. She was literally stranded on the freeway on-ramp. It was two lanes and she was in the left lane and people were just like zooming around her and she's like bewildered outside of her car. And I was like, burp, pulled over, got out, asked her if she needed help, you know, helped her call the insurance and got a tow truck on the way. But it's in those moments where we get to be decisive, especially as men, we get to take action and we see something that needs to be remedied we don't sit and say someone else can take care of that. We go, this is for me. This is a call for me to rise up and take action and remedy the situation and make it better. And if everybody had a little bit of this awareness and lived from that, we would live on he- in heaven. We'd all be living. And this is, I believe the earth is meant to be heaven on earth. Like I, I do believe that we are, we are what creates heaven on earth. You know, whether we're embodying hellish qualities or heavenly qualities is up to us. And so I see that as my responsibility and all of our responsibilities to lead by example is to really live and embody what we want to see in the world. Gandhi said it, right? Be the change you wish to see. And being able to have an active practice, so being like devoted to a practice and a way of being, but I don't want to relegate it to just a practice. It's a way of being. So that's why I say devotion is the core of it. If you're devoted to life, if you're devoted to love, if you're devoted to God, then you're going to do what needs to be done. You're going to be silent when you need to be silent. You're going to speak up when you need to speak up because we're listening. We're always listening. That's a part of devotion is to listen and create space to be able to be in our hearts and commune with God. Because without communion and without an active and intimate relationship to God, then what are we doing? Are we just going through the motions of like, oh, this is good. This is bad. Life is dynamic. And that's why wisdom calls us to be able to make different choices in different, different conditions and different environments and different people. There's always a call for us to be intelligent and dynamically intelligent and to exercise the God within us by being able to make a decision in the moment that might not be readily apparent, but you have to, we have, we have to be able to distill a lot of different information in the moment to be able to provide What's going to make the moment better? What's that, what's going to make the situation better? And I think uh, a practice of service, you know, so there's like the meditation practice, you know, there's some kind of embodied practice where you're moving your body because we're in these physical bodies for a reason. So we got to move our body every day, whether it's a simple walk or it's getting out and doing animal flow, whatever it might be that works for you, but being deeply connected to the body. But beyond that, also our emotions. Well, you know, we also have an emotional body. So tending to our emotional body. You know, being able to create space so that we can feel, maybe that's through breath work, maybe that's through some mirror work, whatever it might be, but being able to feel and allow space for us to feel and move that energy is important too. Mentally, you know, cultivating a clear mind so that we can execute, so we can plan, so we can hold a vision and bring it from the ethers and ground it onto the earth, you know, and then spiritually, you know, we are soul and we have to to take care of the soul that we are what I believe on, on a soul level, what it really is, it's living by our own ethics. It's living with love and compassion. It's, it's really walking that razor's edge and 
that's how we keep our soul aligned, you know? And, and in, if we're, if our soul is aligned, then we're not going to get a disease out of the blue for no reason, you know? And if we do get a disease, it's for us to grow and evolve and to face death and to heal, to know what it takes to heal and to be humble, to say, and to remember, I don't have forever. You know, this moment really is all we have. And the mind likes to project into the future or get caught up in the past. And that leaves us, that leaves us disconnected from our place of power, which is right now. You know, this is our place of power between you and I right now. And this transmission is going out to all the people that are going to benefit from it. And that's my prayer, you know, that it's going to reach the ears and the hearts that need to hear it. In, in the line of, of faith, what I have a hard time sometimes deciphering is when is it good to surrender? And when is it good to take action? What's that line? Cause for me, one of my traumas is, is, is overworking and overdoing things. I received love as a kid for being smart and being a hard worker, all that kind of stuff. So I, for me, it's kind of like been the lessons to learn when to surrender, not to always push it. What's that line? How do you decipher, okay, when's it good for me to surrender to this obstacle and, and feel it or do something to move the needle forward? Yeah, that's a matter that there, there, I don't think there's a one size fits yeah. all to answer that. It, it's a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of knowing yourself. It's a matter of giving yourself enough space to go deeper and yeah. to reflect. Because if you give yourself the space, you know. Mm-hmm. If you give yourself the space, you know. But sometimes if we're confused about a decision, that means we're overwhelmed and our systems, there's too much going on for us to be able to make that clear decision. So I think that whenever I'm confused, I just know I'm, I got to pause and take space because in the past when I made a decision just like that was rushed or like in the moment, like I just you know felt like the pressure or something to make a decision, generally, it's ended up in not so optimal outcomes, so to say. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much, man, for for everything. Especially, I've never been so inspired by someone's devotion to higher power. I feel, even just listening to and being with you, I feel this uh, inspiration to connect more, be more of service. So, for just yeah. for being in front of you, thank you so much, man. I appreciate yeah. that that coming through for me. Yeah, man. I'm curious because I've noticed you say higher power. I've noticed you say source. I haven't heard you say God. I don't think. Do you have religious trauma or no? Do you... I don't. Okay. What no, is your What is your thing about it? I believe in. It. I'm a full believer. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I believe okay. in God. There's no. There's no. Got it. Maybe actually, my, my dad's my dad's an atheist. Okay. Yeah. I just sense something. Yeah. yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I I try and be like um neutral to just not like offend any people even though I, I say crazy stuff too but I don't know it's like I try and <laughs> is God a crazy a, thing yeah, to no, say it's not, it's not you're right I, I'm with you I'm with you maybe it's there to me on pack you know because I think I got my mom was very spiritual my dad wasn't at all so it's like it's just a contention it's kind of cool though yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a cool balance yeah, yeah. that you get to alchemize into your unique expression yeah but at the end of the day you're a believer you're a knower yeah you're an explorer of consciousness yeah, too yeah. you know I appreciate you pointing that out because I think there was this you know, now my, my mom's dad is more of just me trying to be more careful around my dad. Okay, so you learned so, to tiptoe. Yeah, yeah. You learned yeah. to basically like hide a part of yourself, right? Because you're born into that specific family. Yeah. And so, yeah, and that, that that's what I was sensing because yeah. I was sensing kind of like this. Like, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I yeah, appreciate man. it. Where, where can people find you and learn more about your stuff? And Yeah, they can find me at my website, albertbastia.com, or they can find me Instagram. Uh, th- those are pretty much the two primary places I I, I ride. Uh, they can also go to Sacred Sons. This is uh, an organization I founded, co-founded back in 2018. Uh, you know, God basically opened my heart to this vision as I was facilitating a group of like 60 men um, two days after my son was born. And I suddenly saw them. They are literally, literally they became 
the uncle of Kyra, my, my son. They became, they all became, so they are no longer just my brothers. Now there's this new dimension to it. And I, I made a prayer right then and there. I was like, God, if I'm, I'm meant to hold space for men and take them deeper into their hearts and, and help them connect to you, then help me find a space where I can facilitate men's work weekly, where I can facilitate weekly men's circles. And my bro Franco just reaches out and says, yo, I just expanded my tattoo studio. There's extra room. If you want to do any kind of events or any of your hippie things, you can come out and, and use it. And so that was really the genesis of that vision. Um, so yeah, being able to have space as men in this time is so important. And I just want to add this piece. As men, we're under incredible pressure right now. You know it. Mm-hmm. We, all our friends know it. And men are women total uh, um, as a whole. We all are. But as a men, we have... Uh, an important responsibility right now to create safety and to help others regulate. And the only way we can do that is by connecting to nature and grounding ourselves and being in our practice and our prayer. Like these are the main things, being in nature, finding time for nature, finding time for family and community, and being in our practice and our prayer. And these are the things that are going to fortify us and allow us to move through these challenging times that are going to be coming because the truth is it's, it's going to get harder before it gets better. And I think that we're in this kind of lull. We're out, out now. We're like, oh, it's summer. It's great. You know, things are coming. Challenges are coming. And, and as men, we, we need to lead the way and, and create a stronghold of safety for our families and our communities to thrive in. And for that to happen, we need to be brothers. We need, we need to stay connected. We need to let each other know when we're struggling and when we need support and, and, and just to be humble in asking for help, asking each other and reaching out. So it's a good place for, for men who are not lost, but looking for a way. Yeah. Yeah. Connect. It's a, it's a good opening, mm-hmm. you know, so sacred sons, empowered brotherhood, you know, all the different, there's so many different beautiful men's groups out there. Um, K4 with Phil Folsom. There's just so many, so many good ones. So yeah. find yourself a men's circle, you know, find yourself a men's group and, and just use it and utilize it. And even if you don't do it formally, just reach out to some of your bros and get together once, once a week or once, once every other week. It's that simple. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.